Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Join Gabriel and his food hero guests every Wednesday on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so happy to have Sasha Swerdloff of Tending the Table joining me here on the show today. Sasha grew up on a farm in Oregon and has always had a deep interest in food. With her cooking, she enjoys following the seasons and revels in the creativity, precision, tranquility, and bustle required in the kitchen. Sasha is inspired by the food of the world and the simple things such as cooking from scratch. Sasha, it's so nice to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's totally my pleasure, Sasha. Let's start from your childhood. Let's go back to your childhood. You grew up on a farm in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what that was like? Yeah. Well, I grew up watching my mom garden all the time and helping her in the garden. So from that, I sort of developed this really deep love for where our food comes from and, you know, the whole process. And she also did a lot of preserving and canning. So we spent a lot of time in the kitchen together making jam and canning peaches and things like that. So that was always really special for me. And I always wanted to help in the kitchen, too. Uh, She tells this story about how I stuck my finger in the food processor trying to, we were grating carrots or something, and I was pushing the carrots down into the food processor and like shredded my finger because I was just so eager to help. Um, (laughs) So that sort of paints a picture of what I was like as a kid in the kitchen. Yeah. And yeah, we also spent a lot of time walking around in the woods on our property and identifying plants and learning to forage and things like that. So it was pretty magical and pretty special. Yeah. Do you feel like this has shaped how you view food even to this day? Like, you know, you grew up in a family where, I mean, you did your own canning and you were on a farm and you really cherished food. Was there ever a time when you were just kind of rebellious and were like, I don't want to be down with this right now. I'm going to be eating like fast food all the time. I grew up vegetarian. I didn't have my first hamburger till I was 18. And I was abroad in Peru before starting college. And I like went out to a bar one night and had a hamburger. And that was my big rebellion. But other than that, not really. I um, Actually, my second semester at college, I moved off campus into a, a house where we were able to cook all our own food because I just missed that so much. So no, it's always really been important to me. Right. Are you living on a farm today? Or are you you're in a city? I live in Seattle now. We lived in Vermont. I went to college there and lived there for several years after college. And we're here now for the time being, but the plan is to move back. I'm not a city girl at all. (laughs) Really? I was just going to ask you, is there something about farm life that you miss? I miss having a garden. We have a couple small raised beds here, but it's not quite the same. I mostly miss just the peace and quiet of it and having space around me. (laughs) And is there something that, you know, that you would be happy to never encounter ever again? I don't think so. I don't, I mean, I don't really mind, you know, the work or the dirt or any of those things. I love it all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we were just talking a little bit earlier that you always had this curiosity around cooking as well, and not just about food. How did you learn to cook? Was it through just helping your mother out growing up? Yeah, just practice. I taught myself. We ate out a lot, actually, too. Our property is pretty close to Portland. And so we would go into Portland and eat out a fair amount. And I always loved, you know, trying new things. And so I think that's really shaped my learning around cooking, just tasting new flavors and new combinations and then wanting to try that and experiment at home. So that's a big part about how I learn is just through experimentation. 
Yeah. And well, I mean, Portland's got such a huge sort of food culture that, yeah. you know, you can basically sample the world in one small place. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, would you say that your mom was your biggest influence in terms of being a cooking teacher to you? Or did you have some other sort of influences that sort of guided you in, in the way that you enjoy to make food? Mostly her. My dad is a big cook also, but they're separated. So I, I didn't see him that often growing up. But I definitely, when I did visit, you know, he was always cooking dinner. He was always the one in the kitchen. And he, he, I think, taught me sort of about proficiency in the kitchen and being efficient and, you know, you know, knife skills and all of that. He was sort of the person who taught me those things. Right. He was a technical guy. Yeah. (laughs) Is there something that you enjoy making with your mom or your dad today? My mom and I still can together a fair amount, actually, when I go to visit. So we just, over the holidays, we made a really yummy pear ginger preserve that we gave away as gifts to people. Um, and, you know, I'll help her can peaches still in the summer or freeze blackberries. She goes and picks blackberries around the property and we freeze those. So we still do all of those things together. Yeah, it's a good a tradition to, I guess, keep alive. Yeah. I read that you have learned to love mornings and a good breakfast. Mm. For someone who might not be a huge morning person, can you share sort of what turned things around for you and to make you appreciate mornings a little bit more? Well, I feel like I'm the most efficient and productive in the morning. So I think that's part of it. I like sort of getting up and starting the day and feeling productive. I also I have a, a yoga practice. So that's a big part of it. You know, I have a sort of a morning routine. You know, I get up and I do my practice and I like starting the day that way. And I think that sort of shapes the rest of my morning so that I, you know, I do my yoga and then I sit down and I have some tea and I try to have some tea, eat a solid meal before I like charge into the day. Otherwise, I just don't like how I feel. Right. (laughs) So I think just taking the time first thing in the morning to pause and just make sure that you're taking care of yourself and what you need to start the day off right is really important. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of us are rushing out the door like in a hurry, like in the morning. So it's good to sort of wake up a few minutes early just to chill out a little bit before uh, Mm -hmm. heading out for the day. Yeah. Well, what does your perfect breakfast look like? You mentioned that you love a good breakfast. Yeah. So we have the same thing a lot. And it's usually toast with some sort of veggies, usually like sauteed kale or spinach and an egg. You know, it's simple, but I feel like it's really good. And, you know, the eggs are from our chickens. We have some chickens here in Seattle. So really good eggs and good bread and some greens. I'm happy with that. That sounds great. And the simplicity part, too. And, you know, breakfast, you Mm -hmm. don't want to be cleaning up too many dishes and like, you know, trying to figure out something really complicated to do. It's going to add to your stress rather than calm you down. Right. As we talked about earlier, you moved from Oregon and went to school in Vermont. I have to admit, I'm not super familiar with the state. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what the food culture is like there? There's a really, really wonderful food culture there, actually. Vermont's a big farming state. There's a lot of dairy farms, so there's lots of really good cheese. And there's also just a lot of emphasis on local farmers and organic growing. And there's a really great community around food. So people really care about where their food comes from and there's a lot of farmers markets. People know their farmers. You know, they, there's farm stands everywhere. You can just drive down the road and stop and go into some little shack and pick up a bunch of veggies and eggs and meat. And um, it's really, really wonderful that that community support around food and everyone caring about the land and their food. Right. When you were living there, 
Did you discover a dish or something that locals love that maybe a visitor like myself, if I were to go there, I would have no idea about? Hmm. I don't know that there's anything that exotic. I mean, there's a lot of sugaring, maple syrup sugaring in Vermont. So one thing a friend in college taught us about, he's from Vermont, was sugar on snow. So they just pour maple syrup on the snow in the winter and eat it. And I always love that. And the other thing that we learned about recently was maple soda. So people will take the sap from the maple trees without even boiling it down into syrup. And then you just mix it with soda water. And it's got this really lovely flavor. Oh, cool. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Well, you were in Vermont, as you talked about, uh, to go to school. Mm -hmm. You studied English there, right? Yeah. Was writing about food always the plan that you had envisioned for yourself? No. Actually, when I started college, I wanted to study Latin American studies and do some sort of social justice work in Latin America. And then that shifted and I became interested in English because those were the professors that I liked. And so I ended up studying English. And I tried a couple times to do an independent major and do food studies program at Middlebury and they wouldn't let me. But I think the food writing was just a way for me to sort of mix the two things that I was in love with at the time, you know, doing the food aspect and the English to incorporate that food into my studies. But it was never my plan to have a blog or do food writing. I didn't even know that that was something you could do for a living. <laughs> right. What got you to start writing about food and recipes on your blog, Tending the Table? Well, we moved to Seattle and I thought that I was going to teach yoga. I'm an Ayurvedic consultant also. And so I tried that for a little while and realized that I really enjoyed practicing yoga more than teaching it. And I was sort of floundering trying to figure out what my purpose was and what I wanted to do. And my husband said, well, why don't you just take some classes, you know, find some workshops or some classes that sound interesting and just try them. So I took a workshop here with Ashley Rodriguez. She has a blog called Not Without Salt. And the next day I started my blog. It sort of just clicked for me that, oh, this is the perfect fit for me and all the things that I love to do. You know, I can stay at home. I'm a little bit of a homebody. I can cook. I can photograph and tap into that creative side of myself and I can write about it. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I guess you've kind of extended from your blog a little bit as well. I mean, I saw that you're doing brunches called Brunch at the Table. Yeah, I host benefit brunches every couple months. Sustainability is really important to me. And I think people's food choices are a really important way to impact the planet and the environment. And so I started hosting these brunches and I just, you know, I invite, it's usually 18 people and all the funds raised go to a nonprofit that's doing some kind of work in sustainable agriculture or local food. And we just have a nice meal. I source all the ingredients. I try to source them locally. And I feel like it's a nice way to expose people to the idea of sustainability and local food without sort of hitting them over the heads with it. It's like they can enjoy a nice meal and, and learn a little bit about what's going on. You mentioned that you're serving 18 people. There must be yeah. a lot of planning involved, you know, with the menu and sourcing food and all the logistics involved. Can you share a little bit about the process of putting something this massive together? Yeah, it's pretty time consuming. And I do it in my house, which is a little crazy. Wow. Mostly because renting a space just cuts into the amount of money we can donate. So I have, you know, a table set up in our yoga room and two tables in the living room and have to move furniture. Yeah, I plan the menu, which takes a fair amount of time. But it's the kind of thing where I'm just thinking about it all day long, like as I'm in the car or going grocery shopping, thinking about it. And then I have to, you know, I end up emailing sponsors to try to get people to donate. 
So that takes a fair amount of time. And then I spend a lot of time also sort of planning the the table setting and what it's going to look like because I want it to be beautiful. And so that's a big part of it as well. Are you mostly inviting people within the community or just anybody can join on this brunch? Yeah, anybody can come. It started out with just friends and people we knew because I didn't really have a network to tap into, but it's grown and now I can publicize it on social media and people who are in my area will sign up. I usually partner with someone else to help out. So they often will publicize also and tap into their network. So it's really fun to, to meet new people. You know, the last couple, a bunch of people have shown up at my door who I've never met before. It's like, who are you? How did you hear about this? What are you interested in? And right. it's really fun to feel like I'm meeting new people and, you know, spreading the word about these issues that are important to me. Oh, for sure. And I think it also like, you know, when you do your blog, you're kind of just putting things out in the universe and somebody's going to read it, right? But when you're actually meeting some people that like are following you or like reading your blog and like face to face meeting them, it's kind of a surreal experience a little bit. Yeah, it's really nice. It makes it feel more real. Yeah, connection for sure. Yeah. Here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and a little bit about the story behind the dish? This is a tricky question for me because most of the recipes on my blog are sort of just simple, straightforward. I think of them as simple and straightforward things that we make at home all the time. But one recipe that I just recently created, it's a vegan peanut butter pie. And it's special to me because my husband and I had peanut butter pie at our wedding instead of a wedding cake. That's always been one of my favorite things. And it's also sort of modeled after this dessert that my mom and I had together on her birthday when we went on a retreat together. So it's got this date nut crust and then the filling is peanut butter and coconut milk and a couple other things and it's frozen. So that's really yummy and special to me because it reminds me of, you know, special times shared with my husband and my mom. Well, if you could invite three famous people over to share this vegan peanut butter pie with, who would you invite over? Oh, geez. Like I said, I'm a homebody. I'm a little bit of an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't <laughs> want anyone over. <laughs> Michael Pollan. It'd be fun to meet Michael Pollan. Barbara Kingsolver. That'd be a good one. We can do an author. We'll do an author group. Sure. It was Barbara, sorry? Barbara Kingsolver. She's a novelist and she also wrote a book about sort of living off the land for a year. So... I think that would be a fun combo. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, if this was sort of a dessert movie situation, what movie would you pair with your vegan peanut butter pie? Well, Princess Bride is always a good one, but that one feels kind of cliche. We just, I just love that movie. We also tend to watch like really bad action movies, but I don't know that that would be a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> The Princess Bride it is. Okay. <laughs> it's a good default. <laughs> I call the next part of the dinner special podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? I guess so. I don't know. Fast and pressure. We'll see how I do. <laughs> There's no pressure whatsoever. Trust me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? None. I do not watch any cooking shows. <laughs> okay. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? Some of my favorites. I really love Dolly and Oatmeal. She's based out of Brooklyn. And Canel at Vanille. She's based here in Seattle and her photography is really inspiring. So there's a couple. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or Snapchat that make you happy? 
My friend Jessie Snyder of Faring Well makes me happy. She's always talking about happy dances and always has cute photos with silly faces. That makes me happy. Okay, great. (laughs) Number four, what is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? Hmm. Oh, here's a good one. We had um, handmade pitchers made for our wedding as party favors. So a a friend who's a potter made all these beautiful white ceramic pitchers. Oh, wow. One of those on the top shelf in the kitchen. And do you use them or are they more of a decorative? I use it at the brunches. Yeah. Oh, cool. Number five, name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. Apparently, I used to hate avocados and now they're my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> was it something about the texture? Or? I have no idea. I think it was when I was like a toddler. Oh, okay. My mom tells stories about me just hating avocados, but I can't imagine that. <laughs> yeah, avocados are awesome. Guacamole, come on. <laughs> I know. Okay, number six. What are a few cookbooks that make your life better? Hmm. The new one that I just got that I love, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but Jelena, Jelena, it's in uh, LA, a restaurant there. And the photography in that one just sort of blew my mind and made me just sort of a visual feast, which I loved. And finally, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? <laughs> I don't even listen to music when I cook. No? Actually, no, I'm like too much in my head thinking about flavors and recipes. Sometimes I play classical music or like Zach Brown, <laughs> bad country, pop country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. It's an eclectic mix. (laughs) Country, classical, and nothing. (laughs) Yep. Perfect. Well, congratulations, Sasha. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Sasha, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. Now, you're on social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted with what you're up to? I'm on Instagram at Sasha.Swordloff and Pinterest and Facebook and Twitter and all of those good things, but mostly Instagram. And then just, you know, following the blog, I post on there about once a week. So you can follow along there to see recipes and find out what's going on. Great. And the blog, of course, is tendingthetable.com. Yep. Well, thank you again, Sasha, for taking the time to chat with me today. I hope you had a good time. I did. And I hope you did too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Head on over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.